You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. I want to continue preaching a sermon series that I've entitled, Who's Your One? This is part two. I'm going to share this message entitled, The Value of One. The Value of One. Have you ever heard of Edward Kimball? Kimball was anything but bold. He was a timid, soft-spoken man. He went to a Boston shoe store frightened, trembling, and unaware of whether he dared to confront an 18-year-old young man who was crude, obviously illiterate, but had attended Kimball's Sunday school class. Kimball said, and this is in his own words, I decided to speak to him, this young man, about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to just go then during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. That when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was and when they learned might taunt him and ask him if I was trying to make him a good boy. While I was pondering over it, I passed the store without noticing it. Then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Kimball found himself in the stockroom and spoke to this young man with what he calls limping words. Later he said, I can never remember what I said, Something about Christ and his love, that was all. He admitted, the boy admitted, it was a weak appeal. But he, that young man, then and there, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Tens of thousands have testified that they have come to Christ under that young man, that 18-year-old man's preaching. He's known to us as D.L. Moody. Moody also founded the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago that has literally trained thousands for ministry. When we think of proclaiming the gospel, we tend to think of the proclamation of, God, of the gospel only in terms of what you're experiencing today. One guy on a stage shouting at you, <laughs> whether it's in crowds or stadiums, and we just think that is preaching the gospel. And I'm not saying it's not. But it's actually only a tiny facet of proclaiming the gospel. Write this down in your notes. Proclaiming the gospel is also, it's also inviting one person to Christ. Yeah, we think of D.L. Moody and how much he proclaimed the gospel, but I want you to get this deep in your hearts, your minds, and your souls that Edward Kimball also proclaimed the gospel when he invited just one person to Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the gospel is also inviting one person to Jesus Christ. 
In today's Bible passage, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, this whole book, John tells us, I have written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This Jesus of Nazareth, whom we preach to you, whom we invite you to come to know, He is the most titled person in all of human history. In just John chapter 1, through one, verses 1 through 35, even into 42, Jesus is called the Word, the Life, the Light, the Son of God, and as was just played to you, the Lamb of God. You may remember an Old Testament story in Exodus. When Jews smeared the blood of a lamb over their doorpost so that death would pass over their firstborn sons and spare them, while Egypt's firstborn sons were judged. This resulted in the Jews' release from slavery in Egypt. I just want you to picture, though, that there's this special connotation in the Bible with the Lamb. The spilling of the Lamb's blood who provides an out of judgment and into a way of life and freedom with God. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 speaks of a man who would be led to slaughter as a sacrificial lamb and who would die for the world's sins to make us right with God. In the immediate context, just a few verses surrounding today's Bible passage, the great prophet John the Baptist proclaims, he preaches that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lamb of God. He is God's Lamb who would die for our sins and grant us life with God. I need you to know this today. Your most basic fundamental problem is that you and I, all of humanity, humanity have sinned against God and we are in outright rebellion of Him. And the thing that we have to get today, what God is revealing to you and to me, is that God in His infinite love toward us did not just go ahead and send judgment and wipe us out and let us slip into eternity separated from Him in hell. But instead, God sent His Son, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. That Jesus Christ, spotless and perfect, went to Calvary, the cross, and bled and died for your sins. The eternal Son of God, in a moment, was forsaken on your behalf to cancel the debt that you owe to God. And Jesus is that Lamb. And to prove to you that God accepted the sacrifice of His own Son in payment for your sins, the Bible tells us that God raised Jesus from the dead. There is no other person in human history that can offer you forgiveness of God, freedom from judgment, and eternal life in heaven with God. That only comes in what we say in Jesus' name. We come to preach Jesus to you and to point you to Jesus. Behold the Lamb. That's our only hope. But what I love about this, what I love about proclaiming Jesus, is while we can do it in the fashion in which you've just experienced it, we can also do it one-on-one. -on -one. 
Look at John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. The next day, John, that's the Baptist, he's the one who's been preaching, was standing with two of his disciples. So they're just kind of sitting on the banks of the Jordan River, <laughs> so to speak, hanging out. And he's standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. So Jesus of Nazareth, he just walks around them. John said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, he's already been preaching about the Lamb of God. These disciples understood there's something special about that guy. He was doing something on God's behalf for the world. And look what it says in verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. They're kind of stalking him. <laughs> When Jesus turned and noticed them following, he asked them, what are you looking for? I think the most profound existential question someone could ever ask, what do you want? What are you seeking? Now remember, what, what had John been telling them? This is the man who will take away our sins. So what do you want? And listen to what the disciples turn and say. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where do you live? <laughs> Look at Jesus' reply. Come, and you'll see. Now, you really don't get the answer until John 14. John's making an argument, but this is good. He replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 4 in the afternoon. So they probably went to his house at 4 and got to hang out with Jesus, the Son of God, till evening. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John the Baptist and followed him. He found his own brother Simon, that's Simon Peter, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ in Greek. So Messiah is Hebrew, Christ in Greek. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw Simon, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which is translated Peter. Now I want you to get the picture of what is happening. Because <laughs> we read this way too quick. And I want us to slow it down. Andrew and another disciple, probably the author of this gospel, John the Apostle himself, they're standing next to John the Baptist when John the Baptist suddenly sees Jesus walking by and just points, behold, the Lamb of God. That's all it is. John witnesses to two guys on this occasion. One man talks to two guys. These two disciples follow Jesus. They ask they received the question, what do you want? What are you seeking? They want to know where he lives. Where does he abide? And Jesus doesn't really answer them. He just says, come find out. Come investigate. Notice the initial relationship. This is all I want to point you to. Between Andrew and Jesus. Andrew calls Jesus what? Look in your Bible. Look in your text. He simply calls them what? Rabbi or teacher. So notice how, now, now think about this. 
All the titles that John the Baptist has called Jesus so far included the Messiah, the one who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He's called the Lamb of God. And yet, at this moment in Andrew's life, what is he willing to accept about Jesus? That he is a teacher. He hasn't gone to the full understanding of who Jesus is. He's just simply been pointed to investigate what does this teacher have to say? So Andrew follows Jesus. Now I find it interesting. After the, after the end of their chat over coffee, right? <laughs> Could you imagine getting to sit down in Jesus' house and ask him anything you wanted? At the end of their conversation, Andrew's identification of Jesus switches. Did you notice this? Instead of calling him just rabbi and teacher, he calls him who at the end of this story? Messiah or Christ. Now, in case you don't know what that, that term means, Messiah comes from the Old Testament prophets who prophesied that one day God would send a deliverer, a king, and a savior for his people and the world. Andrew is saying that he initially believed Jesus just to be a good teacher. At the end of their conversation, he had come to believe, we have found the savior. We have found the savior of the world. What a conversation that must have taken place. But here's what I love about Andrew, and this is what you can't run past. As soon as he came to the belief this is the Messiah. This is the one they've been telling us about, and I've encountered him. What did he do? He got up from that table and ran and found who? His brother. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't see yourself in this story, I don't know how to make it more obvious that if we've really come to believe that Jesus of Nazareth is not just some good teacher. Hey, there's plenty of teachers in the world. Okay, that's not the issue. Only one man claims to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who actually can deal with humanity's issues. If we really claim to believe that this man is the Messiah and the Savior of God, I think some of us need to get up from our tables and go find others and go, look, you just got to have to come see for yourself. Did you see that too? He didn't come initially shove Jesus down Simon Peter's throat. He just goes, brother, I think I found the Messiah. You need to come check him out. Andrew is known throughout the Gospel of John for just simply bringing individuals, not crowds, to Jesus. Each time we encounter Andrew in John's Gospel, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Write this reference down. In John chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, Andrew brings a boy with five loaves and two fish to Jesus. Jesus miraculously multiplied the boy's meal and fed 5,000 people. Some students of the Bible have called Andrew the first home missionary to the Jews. But then if you go a little further in John, write this reference down. John chapter 12, verses 23-22. Certain Greeks, the word had got out about Jesus, and certain non-Jews had found out they are foreigners to Andrew, but they come seeking Jesus.
Some Bible scholars say that Andrew was the first foreign missionary too. Is he preaching to crowds? No, he's going, you want to go meet Jesus? Let me take you. Oh, have you come to meet Jesus? Well, let me show you him. So what? Here's what I think Andrew's got for us today. And write this down. You and I need to pray, pray to feel the value of one. Pray to feel the value of one. I think some of us get so frightened at the prospect of proclaiming the gospel that we just overdo it. We think that if, if we're not the sage on the stage presenting the gospel, then that's not gospel proclamation. And what I need you to see is Andrew, an apostle of Jesus, is just known for kind of being this shadowy figure. He's not a prominent person. He's in the shadows, but every time you get a glimpse of that man, what's he doing? Getting just one more, one more. Can I take you to Jesus? Can I take you to Jesus? And I want you to think about the significance. I want you to think about the effects that have rippled through history because of this chain of reaction. Think about this. John the Baptist, it starts with John the Baptist. He looks and points and goes, hey guys, the Lamb of God. Andrew takes off after him. Andrew sits and has a conversation with him and goes, this is not just some teacher. He is the Messiah. I must go tell my brother. And he goes and gets... Simon Peter. Now, why is this important? Let me read one other verse to you. Jesus is praying in the garden for us in John 17, verse 20. Just write the reference down. John 17, 20. He says this, I pray not only for these. He means his disciples, his original 12. He's praying for them. But notice what the rest of the verse says. This is one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. But also for those who believe in me through their Word. So Jesus here is saying, everyone who believes in me because of the proclamation of these 12, I pray for them as well. Now, who does that include? All of you. Every single person here, in case you ever wonder, has Jesus ever prayed for you? Right now, he's interceding on, uh, on your behalf in heaven. But I need you to see this. The text even shows Jesus praying for you. He loves you. But think about this. Think about what happens here. Look at verse 40 in John chapter 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's what? Brother. Have you ever been introduced as somebody else's brother or sister? It's one of the most annoying things in the world. So I have a, uh, a younger sister, and we went to Tacoa Falls College together. And of course, she's a year younger than I am, and so when you get the opportunity to get into a place before somebody else, you can kind of establish a name quickly. And so when Anna got there, Anna hated this. Oh, you're Josh's brother. Oh, you're Josh's brother. Then, of course, the tables turn because I graduated first. And I don't know if you ever met my sister. My sister got some pipes. She can sing. I can't sing at all. But she was known at Tacoa Falls College for singing. And so I would go back to visit Mandy. Mandy was younger, and I'll never forget the first time I felt what it was like. I got onto campus, go, wait a minute, you're Anna's brother? Isn't it always bad to be the brother or the sister? Why is it that 
every time the scriptures treat Andrew, he's always like, hey, that's Simon's brother. <laughs> Did you catch that? Hey, oh, here's Andrew. Andrew's Peter's brother. Because here's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, you've got the Baptist, John, Andrew, and Simon. And what does Simon do? On the first day of church history, Pentecost, Simon Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up in Jerusalem, preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. That's why he's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, <laughs> okay? But I need you to see this. If there's no John, if there's no Andrew, if there's no Simon Peter, there's none of us. Because we believe in Jesus through their word. It's awesome to believe that your story harkens back to a guy named Andrew. <laughs> Ever thought about that? Somebody's brother led one brother to Jesus, and it has rippled through church history. All that we would know the value of just one person. The American Evangelical Church gets into a frenzy every now and then. I've had the debate here about who's going to be the next Billy Graham. You hear it all the time, which if you'll ask the next gen, they don't even know who Billy Graham is. And that's not their fault. We always ask, who's the next D.L. Moody? Who's the next great evangelist of our time? And I'll tell you, with gentleness and respect, the church has been asking the wrong question. Who's going to be the next Edward Kimball? That's the question. We can't do nothing about a Billy Graham or a D.L. Moody, but you can be an Edward Kimball. We can't do nothing about a Simon Peter, but every one of us can be Andrew. You never know who you'll reach. And even that person who you think, they're, they're so far from God. What if they're the next one? What if they're the next one? Who's your one? Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.